my name is John, John Musgrave, and uh, we're going to be looking at Pastor Board Relations today. And uh, just want to let you know this is really a, kind of an overview. Uh, if you're looking to get into a lot of specifics, you've uh, come to the wrong class. I just want to let you know that. Uh, I've had the privilege of being in ministry uh, about 42 years. And uh, I uh, had my first lead pastor position when I was 22 years old. So, uh, And my board at that time, they were old enough to be my grandfathers. And in some cases, probably could have been my great-grandfathers. Uh, and they were all very much in the union mentality. Okay, i just giving you a little my background, okay? Uh, I had a Teamster, I had a UAW, and I forget what the third one was, but they were very much in a union mindset, and uh, I was management. I'm just, just telling you where I'm at. I was in Youngstown. Okay, anybody from the Youngstown area here? Okay, you know, uh, truck driver, steel worker, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm, they were good guys, they were good men. I'm just telling you what they brought into the boardroom, okay? And uh, so it wasn't uncommon for me those first couple years for them to conduct themselves very much like a shop steward. Okay? So we would have an idea on the table, and they would say, well, I was talking to this group, and they think we ought to do this. I was talking to this group, and they think we ought to do this. And um, again, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. And uh, probably when two or three years into that ministry, and I was there 27 years, okay, So a church grew from about 80 to about 240, 250. I mean, I, you know, okay. But anyway, about three years into it, I remember the one gentleman said, and I I could give you their names. They're all in heaven right now. Okay. John Moore, Lee Purball, Frank Witt. Okay. They're all in heaven. And I, I say this affectionately. I had the honor of doing their home going. Okay. I had the honor of doing their home going. But anyway, I remember one of them said that same line, Pastor John, I've been talking to this group, and they think we ought to do this. I breathed real hard. And I said, you know, I think you know that I love you. And I think you know that I love this church. But I said, when we come into this room, I really don't want to hear, I've been talking to this group, and they think we ought to do this. I said, what I want to hear is that I've been praying about this. And I think the Lord would want us to do this. Okay, now that might not mean anything to anybody else in this room. And we did not change the culture of that church immediately. I mean, we really did not. But at the same time, they were bringing a business mentality they were bringing a corporate mentality into a place where, yes, we need biblical business principles. Yes, we need business ideas. But the Bible is not, in that regard, run like the UAW or run like the Teamsters and so forth. So just give you my background in that regard. Uh, like I said, been in ministry a couple of months, a few years. And I currently pastor in Bell Fountain, Ohio. And uh, I am full-time with the network. 
uh, as the church development director, and I'm very much part-time at Bell Fountain First Assembly as their lead pastor. And uh, so uh, my church in Girard was a general council church, and uh, my church in Bell Fountain is a network-affiliated church. And again, I say that just because uh, I want you to understand kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, my dad was a board member all the days of my life. Okay? He, he just served on the board forever. Okay? He was 87 when he passed away. And he was in a care facility in Finley, Ohio. And uh, probably, you know, kind of in name only because he hadn't been to church for several months. But even in that care facility, he said, you know, I wish they could find somebody younger, you know, to, to be a board member here, you know. And so at his passing, he was still on the board. So I grew up in a deacon's family. Okay, I'm a DK, and all the PKs polluted my life and made me a bad kid, you know. So, uh, but, uh, uh, so uh, I'm a DK, I'm a deacon's kid, and uh, I'm thankful for that. When my father passed away, Seven of the pastors that he served under were still living. And six of the seven came to his viewing or his funeral service. And they all six said the same thing. John, I would have taken a hundred of your dad. I would have taken 50 of your dad. I would have duplicated him over and over again. And uh, so uh, the only one that didn't come was in a sickly condition and could not be there that day. So uh, I'm just, again, giving you a background of where I'm at. In my role now, uh, let me back up. 14 years ago, I left Gerard, and uh, I remember one of my board members shaking me. Just guess what, Pastor John? You won't have to have any more board meetings. I, I don't know how many board meetings I've had since I've taken this role, but uh, I probably average two a week, you know. So do the math, two times 52 times 14. That's a, how many board meetings I've been in since I left my pastorate in Gerard. But anyway, uh, so again, that's a little background. I'm married to my lovely wife, Barb, and uh, she. Uh, we have two children together, David and Danielle. Uh, David is in St. Louis, Missouri. I uh, actually uh, works in Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, uh, he's a parks and recreational director. And I tell everybody he gets paid to play, and that's the truth. Uh, uh, he, he enjoys it, loves it. He's married to Jessica. They blessed us with two wonderful kids, grandkids, Hadley and Bryce. And uh, my daughter is an RN in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, she works in orthopedics. So if ever I have to have one of those surgeries back there, I can go to Springfield field and do a traveling uh, surgery and all that so uh, she's married to Jeff an electrician he owns his own company and uh, they too bless us with two wonderful kids so uh, uh, they I've got four grandkids and uh, uh, we get to see we get to see them about uh, three times a year give or take so anyway but uh, I want to give you a little bit of a biblical background we place some notes there on your your page take take some uh, notes if you would but again this is more of a general type situation and I want to give you a biblical basis for what I feel gives us a lens uh, for this pastor board relationship. And uh, I begin in the Old Testament uh, with the concept of an armor bearer. The concept of an armor bearer and uh, Judges chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 14 and so forth gives us a little glimpse into the concept of an armor bearer. And uh, I believe that in many ways... 
a deacon, a board member, is an armor bearer for the lead pastor, for the one who is, 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 is the lead pastor. I love what First Samuel chapter 14 gives us an indication. Jonathan, his armor bearer, said unto him, Do all that is in thy heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to heart. So you know the story. Uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer come upon a, a, a group of Philistines, and Jonathan basically says, If we hear them say this, then we're going to go up and we're going to take them. But if they say this, then we're going to run because God has not given us the victory. And I love what the armor bearer says. He says, do whatever God puts in your heart. I'm with you all the way. Now, I say that only to say that that I believe that 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 board member, that advisory committee member, that deacon is an armor bearer to the lead pastor. I remember at Gerard, I had a gentleman on my board. His name was Dennis, a good Italian guy. And uh, he developed a practice every Sunday morning. And I was usually in the office a couple hours before service. I felt sorry for my wife because she had to stay home and get the kids ready and all that good stuff. Uh, I was always spiritual on Sunday morning, and she was frazzled because, anyway, that's a whole other story. But, But anyway, Dennis would come into my office, and I'd be sitting at my desk, and he would come in behind me, and he would just put a hand on my back, and he would say, Lord, be with Pastor John today. Allow the Word to be anointed. Allow the message to be quickened by your Spirit. And he, would, and he, didn't, he didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want to speak to me. If I, if I would have tried to enter conversation, Pastor, I'm not here for that. You understand what I'm saying? He, he was an armor bearer. He was, he was letting me know that. And, and I believe that, that our board, in many ways, and again, we have different names for them. Okay, Some call them a board. Some call them deacons. Some call them advisory committee. But they're like an armor bearer to us. The armor bearer is an officer selected by kings and generals because of their bravery. Not only to bear their armor, but also to stand by them in time of danger. I think that's an awesome definition of an armor bearer. We get that sense that this this armor bearer was like an attendant to the officer, the general, whatever. And we see that picture throughout throughout the Old Testament, that concept of an armor bearer. And in many ways we see Saul and his armor bearer. We saw Jonathan and his armor bearer. Uh, Some indicate that David was one of the armor bearers for King Saul. Okay? And uh, that's part of the reason why David had some difficulty in in, uh, slaying Saul. Is because as an armor bearer, his job wasn't to slay him. His job was to protect him. And uh, so I want us to get that picture of that, that shield bearer. That one that stands with that one that stands beside in the midst of a battle. And then I want to turn our attention to Exodus chapter 18. Again, just a little bit of a a biblical basis here. I don't think the idea of diaconus necessarily began in Acts chapter 6. I think we see some Old Testament pictures of this as well. Jethro, Moses, chapter 18 of Exodus, Moses takes a seat... As the people come to basically, you know, um, get a judgment from Moses on what the decision needs to be. Moses knows the law. They come to him and they get the opinion and so forth. And Moses sits there all day. Now his father-in-law's in town. 
visiting with him. And at the end of the day, his father-in-law says, Moses, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, well, you know, somebody's got to hear the complaint. Somebody's got to make a judgment. And the father-in-law says, Moses, this isn't good. You know, this is not good. And so Moses begin, uh, Jethro begins to say to him, you need to select some people, capable people. You need to teach them the law of God. You need to train them in the things that need to be made judgment on. And you need to set them over 10 and over 50 and so forth and so on. And only the hard cases would come to you. Now, again, I am not saying that's the structure we set up in our church. What I'm trying to say is one person was not meant to carry this by themselves. (coughs) What I'm trying to say is one person wasn't meant to be the kingpin and hear everything, make decisions on everything throughout the, the, the church, or in this case, the nation of Israel. You go again to Numbers chapter 11. A similar principle. And the people began to complain. They began to be upset about, you know, all we get is manna. You know, we had manna oatmeal. We had manna burgers. We had manna, you know, whatever, you know. Why can't we have something else? And Moses just basically says, God... Why did you give me this people? You know, why do, why, why do I have to deal with this? Now, I don't know any senior pastor that once in a while on Monday morning hasn't said, Oh my God, what in the world did I get myself into? And again, God speaks to him and says, Moses, you find 70 men. You find 70 individuals. I want you to bring them forward. And I love this. He says, I want to take the spirit that is on you, and I want to place it upon them. Now, there's a whole lot in that simple phrase. And I believe in the supernatural Pentecostal experience. I believe that the spirit that is on Pastor Lloyd can be transferred to a deacon, a board member. But I would suggest that in our world many times, the way you catch my spirit is as I relationally walk with you. The way you catch my spirit, yes, it is a supernatural thing, but it's also something. I mentioned John, Lee, and Frank. I started fishing with John. That man drank black coffee with a hundred sugars. Oh, it's the awfulest stuff in the world. There in Mesquite Lake... Out in the middle of nowhere, I got to know John. I started doing furnace repair work with Lee. What's this? Oh, it's a thermocouple, John. Oh, really? Frank said, do I have to call you Pastor John every time I need something? No, not in this setting. You don't. Frank and I worked around the church often. Why was I doing that? Because... Because I liked furnace repair work? Because I liked drowning worms? No, I wanted them to catch my spirit. So two or three years later when I was able to say, I think you know I love you. I think you know I love this church. They saw it. Because they had caught my spirit. Does that make sense to anybody here? To me, that's an important part of this. And again, in this setting, I really do think God took the Spirit from Moses and put it on Clayton. 
God took the spear from Moses and put it on Shane. It was a supernatural thing. I really believe that. And that does happen supernaturally. But I've also found many times it also happens relationally. Because they begin to pick up on your heart. And they begin to pick up on your, your philosophy of ministry. But I think it's interesting in those passages we see a sense that an individual, a general, soldier, had someone standing with him, an armor bearer. We find in Moses' case that this is wearying you, Moses. You can't do this all day. You need to pick some people to help you with this. Oh God, why did you give me these people? Take this anointing from you. Put it on 70 elders. And all I'm trying to say is there's an Old Testament principle where the pastor, the leader, wasn't meant to carry it all. Okay, you can agree or disagree with that. You can not come to my class next year. It won't hurt me a bit. Okay, I'm just, for me, I believe there's, there's a certain role for the pastor, and there's a certain role for a deacon, a board member, and I think we need to understand those roles. And let's go to Acts chapter 6. This is a New Testament kind of picture of what we just talked about in the Old Testament. In the book of Acts chapter 6, you all know the story. There was a group of widows that were being neglected. And they were, they were complaining about it. You know, hey, and I don't know what it really looked like. You know, most of us have been part of a food ministry or a benevolence ministry at some time in our ministry. And, uh, you know, there are times that people get there early and they get a great big bag of groceries and somebody gets there a little late and my, my bag's not as big as theirs, you know. How come they got a chicken and I didn't get a chicken? Or they got a turkey and I just got a chicken breast. You know, what's the, you know you've been there. Don't look at me like you're from a different planet. I don't know what this looked like. I really don't. But evidently there was some kind of a food distribution, a meal. And some people were saying, man, we're, we're not getting served. We're being neglected. And the apostles, the apostles looked at the situation and they said, you know, it's not good that we would leave the preaching of the word to wait on tables. Okay. So let's select seven men, seven individuals that we can appoint over this business. So we find that they did that, and there's some qualifications for those individuals. I wish I had pastors that had those qualifications, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) Little, Little humor, okay? And so these men began to do that benevolence ministry. And then we find that in verses 7, that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, and a large number of priests, Jewish priests, came into the fold of Christianity. Now, I want you to notice a few things here. And again, this is just me. Okay, this is just me. Okay, Shelby Pratt's here. He's going to talk to me Monday and try to correct me. This is just me. I personally believe that a pastor's job description can be summed up in three P words. Three P words. Okay? Pray, preach, and prepare. Acts chapter 6 says it's not good that we leave the preaching of the word 
to wait on tables. At the end of this discourse here, we can give ourselves to prayer and to the preaching of the Word. And then if you go to Ephesians, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping, for the preparing of the saints. My job is to prepare you so you can do ministry. As a lead pastor, my job is to prepare you so you can do ministry. Okay, that's overly simplistic. I know that. But for me, that's a full-time job. For me to pray, seek God, vision, preachings. For me to prepare messages. To be ready on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever to prepare. That's what, and for me to, to discover your giftings and your abilities and draw those out of you and get you at the right place in the body of Christ so this church can move forward, that's a major deal for me. And again, you can agree or disagree. I preached a sermon like that one time and some lady came up. Well, I know I can think of several other P words I'd like to add to that. I'll go right ahead, you know. I'll add them to my next sermon, you know. And I'm sure everybody else has a job description for the pastor, you know. But again, and I'm not saying we shouldn't visit hospitals. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't, you know, be there for the sick and so forth. But as a church begins to grow, I would hope that, let's say I'm visiting the hospitals three days a week. Church is growing. I don't have... Well, I'm hoping I'm preparing somebody else so they can visit hospitals. I hope I'm equipping someone else so they can help with. You understand what I'm getting at? So there's always those basic things we're going to be doing at some point. But I hope part of that is that we're preparing others to come behind us and so forth. So, and then I think it's interesting in this passage that, that it appears anyway in this passage in Acts 6 that those diaconists, those individuals chosen to serve, they were basically appointed over that business. Okay? Now, I, I, I just want us to hear that, okay? Everybody in this list, the apostles, pastors, the elders, the deacons, were all servant leaders. We're all servant leaders. And there is not a big cheese and a little cheese. There is not a big dog and a little dog. We're all servant leaders. There's lanes we need to run in. There's gifts we need to fulfill. We're all just servant leaders. Ultimately, I'm serving the body of Christ. As a pastor, as a leader, I'm serving the body of Christ. Ultimately, a deacon, a board member, is serving the body of Christ. It's not about what I want. It's about what He wants. It's not about what works best for me. It's about, how can I serve your body? So as we see ourselves that way, we begin to see ourselves as servant leaders working together. Romans says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Each one has a body has many members. These members all have the same function. So in Christ, we all many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. I'm grateful for those people at the table that I serve at that have an expertise and ability that I do not have. 
I'm so thankful for that. I'm grateful for people that can give input and so forth in areas that, man, I did not see that. Thank you. At the same time, I hope that I'm able to put something at the table once in a while that, Pastor, we appreciate that. We're all servant leaders together. And uh, the body's a unit. It has many parts. And for me, anyway, uh, we have a group of people that we call pastors. We have a group of people that we call board or deacons. Uh, and then we have other areas in the church as well. Now, I will say one thing here, and uh, uh, particularly depending on the size of your churches, I found as our church grew that I found myself really pastoring three different groups of people. And you pastor them a little bit differently. Okay, I was always the pastor of the congregation. Always the pastor of the congregation. And again, we grew to a point where three and four days of hospital calls were down to one day of hospital calls for me. And I remember people coming to me and saying, Pastor, you didn't visit me in the hospital. And I'd say, Sam, what day were you in the hospital? Well, I was there on Tuesday. I don't go to the hospitals on Tuesdays. I go on Thursdays. Next time, schedule your hospital stay on Thursday. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You know, so, but, so, but I always pastored that whole group. And in a sense, and I had this conversation with some of my leaders this last week. I said, when you pray with somebody at the altar, particularly if it's a pretty critical need, I said, I would really like to be aware of what that need is. And not that I, it's not a confidentiality thing. When I talk to that person, I'd like to be able to say, hey, I understand he had surgery last week. I understand you're going through a little family challenge with your daughter. I'd like to be aware of that. Now, again, it's amazing to me how somebody just hearing that from their lead pastor immediately that elevates. Pastor, thank you. You understand what I'm saying? I still pastor a whole group. But then I also have to pastor my ministry leaders. Okay, that might be youth, that might be children, that might be, you know, and I pastor them a little bit differently. I don't share the same devotion with them that I'm sharing on Sunday morning because I'm trying to equip them and train them and move them forward in their abilities. But then I also pastor my, my board. I pastor that group, and I pastor them a little bit differently too. Why? Because, again, I'm, I'm pushing them a little bit. I'm challenging them a little bit. I want them to grow because if I read Acts correctly, a couple of those deacons, one of them became an evangelist and was the first martyr. Another one became an evangelist and gets translated. I don't know about you, but... You ever, have one, you ever wish one of your deacons would get translated? <laughs> I don't see those hands. No. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Uh, some of those, I had a deacon plant a church. And I was thrilled for that. You understand what I'm saying? We have this idea that we're going to keep this team right here. We don't know that. So I want to be pastoring them so that they might move forward in whatever God has for them. So I'm saying, as the lead pastor, I pastor the congregation, I pastor my ministry leaders, and I pastor my board, my deacons, whatever you might call them in that setting. And so I take that very seriously. We're a body functioning together, moving the work of God forward. Now, the New Testament uses a term, elder, Sometimes they'll use the term overseer. Sometimes they use the term even bishop. Uh, some separate those terms, and I understand that. Uh, some other denominations separate those terms, and I understand that. For my purposes today, 
and partially because I don't know that I see a clear separation in the scriptures of those terms. Um, I think they many times can be used interchangeably. Uh, For our our purposes today, we think about a trustee, we think about a deacon, probably a board member. Elders, we get the sense, are Acts 14, Acts 15, Acts 16, Acts 20, Acts 21, 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 5. You get the sense that the elders seem to be the spiritual overseers, the pastors seem to be the spiritual overseers of the affairs of the church. And I'm not minimizing the deacons, I'm not minimizing the board, I'm not minimizing that, but you get the sense in the scriptures that when they're talking about the spiritual things of the church, it's like they address this group, elders, bishops, overseers, and we would say that in many ways, in the spiritual realm, they're the decision-making body of the church. Now, in most of our contexts, that person is the lead pastor. And in many of our contexts, particularly in our smaller settings, that person is solo. Solo. You know, I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent, but many times it's a solo. Okay? In some of our churches... Uh, they do have what we would call elders. Sometimes those individuals are some that have risen in their maturity and so forth and really do have a spiritual acuity for what is happening in the body. And the pastor may turn to them as he's getting ready to make key spiritual decisions and get their input, get their so forth. Some of our churches actually would consider their ministry staff the elders of the church those that have risen in the credentialing process and so forth, they would see that group as being the elders of their body uh, and ministering unto the body. I don't know about you, uh, but in my settings, uh, I would share again things with my staff, my ministry leaders, more on the visionary, more on the here's where I see us going, this is what I'm believing for next year. And we would get some input from our board, our deacons, but many times I was looking to them, i.e. the board, how are we going to finance this? How are we going to fund this? What are the practical things we need to do if this is really going to take place? So that elder, that decision-making person, is looked at in the scriptures as that person that is guiding the spiritual temperature, barometer of the church. Many times the deacons, the board members, and even in our culture, our government would include part of them and call them the trustees. They would be taking care of more of the physical arena of the church. By that I mean who's going to mow the grass? Who's going to paint the classroom? Who's going to serve the tables? And I don't mean that again in a demeaning way. I'm just saying that that's the picture I get from the scriptures. And I think sometimes we, we have difficulties because we many times kind of, kind, of, kind of blend this together a little bit. And even what I said earlier, because I said, you know, I, I went fishing with John so that he could understand my heart. Well, I don't have time to go fishing with all my board members. Well, why did I do that? Well, I'm new there. I'm a kid. 
I want to gain their respect. I wanted them to understand my heart. So I'm going to invest a little bit more to, to acquire that, okay? But at some point in time, John, Jim, and uh, John, Frank, and Lee, they were saying to me, Pastor, you don't have time for this. You've got other things you need to worry about. You know, we'll take care of this. And when they were saying that, you know, thank God, because the furniture, you shouldn't have sat in the front row, Mike. You know, I got a young guy in my church. He sits in the front row every week. I tell him, Dylan, stop sitting here. Oh, I like sitting up here, Pastor John. But anyway, you know, uh, a couple years later, I needed a furnished repairman. Lee Purball said, oh, don't worry about all that. We'll take care of all that, Pastor. We'll, ta- we'll do it for cost. Now, I don't know, but I got to feel it. I might not have gotten that had I not walked beside the man for a while. You understand what I'm saying? You know, so, so again, you don't hear me say, Pastor, you've got to do all those things forever. But sometimes when you've got to build that relationship, you do them for a short season so you can get that relationship. And you're not getting it to get something. You really want that relationship. You want that armor bearer to be your armor bearer. You want that diaconist to be your deacon. And so we see this, this idea of the elder, the bishop. And the deacon, uh, one translation of that word is a runner, is a messenger, is a servant. We'll get into the practical parts of that, but it's interesting to me that the deacon many times is simply a word that's translated minister, minister, servant. There's places that Jesus Christ is even described as a servant. Same word. Same word. It's interesting. So uh, again, it's, it's knowing your role, knowing your lane, knowing where you serve. And then we get interested because in my look at this, the deacons in chapter 6 of Acts, were appointed over an area of ministry. Bishops seemed to be the rulers taking charge. The deacons seemed to be the servants and serve well. Bishops seemed to be the one, as a rule, that are apt to teach. The deacons seemed to be the one that hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The work of the deacon or the deaconess seems to be in some ways almost more one-on-one, house-to-house, whereas the elder, the bishop, the overseer, seems to be larger picture, the whole church. Let's bring this down to the practical side. Now, your bylaw probably says something a little different, but the government of the assembly many times is, yes, vested in the active membership, But the routine business of the assembly will be the responsibility of the church board. Your church board may be deacons. Your church board may be board members. You might call them the executive leadership team. But the routine business is taken care of by that group. Now, in that routine business, you're probably going to have a treasurer. You're probably going to have a secretary. And uh, the treasurer is going to make sure the funds are handled properly. You know, again, they don't have to handle them by themselves. In fact, we would not want them to handle them by themselves. 
but they're still the one overseeing it, making sure it's taken care of. Your secretary is going to be the signer on the official documents. You know, if there's a transfer of property and so forth, usually the president, i.e. the pastor, and the secretary is going to be the signer on those things. So there are some regular things that they're going to take care of, and we would recommend that a board meets maybe eight times a year. Again, uh, monthly is good, but we understand situations. There's summer, there's the holidays and so forth, but there needs to be routine business taken care of. There needs to be proper minutes taken care of. You know, uh, again, you have to give a detailed report of everything that's said, but if there happens to be a motion, there happens to be a discussion, happens to be someone seconds that motion and it's voted on or affirmed, that probably should be in the minutes of that. And uh, it's always good to have those records kept in a timely way and also in a filed way, because somewhere, it'll never happen in your church, but some churches, somebody asks them, when did the board make that decision? Did the board vote on that? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that question. <laughs> that decision was made on March the 2nd, 2017. So-and-so made that motion, so, and it was unanimous. And that sounds silly in a way, but you get into some major situations, and by chance, if by chance you are taken to court, somebody might ask you on the witness stand, are there any minutes to this meeting? Uh, just helpful. Just helpful. Say, yes, there are. Here's a copy. I'd like to enter this into... Sounds like a Perry Mason show, doesn't it? I'm showing my age. I know I am. I apologize. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is on the practical side, but let's go back, okay? As the pastor and as the board, usually... A treasurer would be either chosen by the board in its first meeting, probably at the recommendation of the pastor. Secretary is probably going to be chosen by the board in the first meeting of the year, probably by the recommendation of the pastor, so forth. And, and in my world, and again, this is just me again, and I'm trying to figure out which one of these clocks I'm supposed to look at. Got... 6.30 over there and 12 o'clock over here. <laughs> this, I'm just teasing. Now you're all watching. You're like, I didn't notice those clocks. <laughs> you didn't even see it. I shouldn't have said anything. But uh, in the world I'm living in, as the pastor, uh, in Gerard, I'll use that example because it probably fits this a little better. In our world, we had a five to a seven person board. And the first meeting of our month, uh, our year, we had an orientation. And I basically went through a little orientation for all the board members. Basically, some things I expected. I, I wanted them to be faithful in their attendance. I expected them to be in service. They had, wouldn't have been nominated if they hadn't been. Uh, they needed to understand that they were going to be in a portfolio. They were going to be in an area of oversight. They were going to be appointed something, not waiting on tables, but appointed something. They're, they're going to be... a, a you know, and we were probably going to have them discuss some of those things. They were given a charge to make decisions about the finances. They would guide our budget, make sure that we adhere to our budget, make sure that you know certain things happen within the confines of the church. Maybe there was a property purchase or a property sale. Maybe a need for a new vehicle or get rid of an old vehicle. 
they understood that there was going to be certain things that were going to happen in that meeting that they were going to be responsible for. With that in mind, you know, let's say that this was my board right up here, okay? We had five physical areas of oversight. Physical areas of oversight. So you were in charge of the outside of our building. We had 30 acres. We mowed about seven of it, and the rest of it was ball fields and roll ranger camp and stuff like that. Okay? You made sure that was taken care of. Now, I didn't expect them to mow the grass and so forth, but we asked them to get somebody to mow the grass. Made sure that something needed attention, you know. You were in charge of the interior of the building, so paint the walls, pair the ceilings, carpet needs, stuff like that. You were in charge of unattached equipment. That sounds so special, doesn't it? Refrigerator breaks, that's yours. Not theirs, yours. Stove goes out, that's yours. Copy machine contract, that's yours. You get what I'm saying here? Okay, you were in charge of our vehicles. At one time we had two buses and three vans. It was not a fun portfolio, okay? We did not have brand new vehicles. Okay, can I get a witness? Okay, and we, would, and we had one that really was the deacon. They were a runner. They shopped. That's all they did. It was a wonderful job description. They would get the list from our administrative assistant. They would get the list from our custodian. They would get the list in the kitchen. And they would run to Sam's Club and Walmart and Costco. And they'd pick up all the supplies we needed for the month. Sounds silly, doesn't it? But as I was there as a new pastor, I spent one day a month doing the shopping. I said, man, I don't want to do that anymore. You understand what I'm saying? So we've put portfolios together that fit our world. You might not have vehicles. You might not need anybody. You might not have a need for a runner. Okay? What I'm saying, we and so at our board meeting, the first couple years I was there, those three union guys asked me what I did all month. <laughs> Pastor John, did you visit so-and-so? Did you do this? Did you? And again, I, I'm just saying, we had to turn that corner. And so I began to say, Mike, anything on the exterior we need to worry about this month? Oh, we're good. I think our lawnmower guy's probably, this is probably going to be his last year. We might have to be looking for somebody new to do that next year. Well, you want to go ahead and start shopping that and get some estimates so we got an idea what we're looking at? You know, hey, that interior, yeah, we got a couple rooms, need new carpet. Okay? So we're dialing, have you got any estimates yet? No, I haven't done that. Well, next time we meet, you get some estimates. You give us an idea what's going to cost. You, you understand what I'm doing here? All of a sudden, it's no longer me that, and I, I really don't have to worry about the carpet. I don't have to worry about the little grass. Somebody else, you know. And again, I'm concerned. You know, you come in and say, "Man, the transmission went out in the third van." Okay, uh, well, it's it's going to cost more than it's worth. Okay, you know what to do. But now we got to shop for another van. You understand? So, so all of a sudden, the board meeting became a meeting where we were collaborating. No one felt like I'm responsible for everything, although they had input on everything. And then we also had spiritual portfolios. Every month you made sure communion was set up. You didn't do it. Made sure uh, You made sure water batteries were getting ready. i got to get the tank ready. got to fill it. got to make sure it's warm. Don't want ice cubes in the baptismal, okay? You know, you were in charge of missionaries. 
So all the correspondence that came in, you read that, and you brought one or two of those to the board. Hey, I got this letter from Jay Rossifer, and it looks like he's got a special project going on. Uh, maybe we'd want to give to that this month. You understand what I'm saying? So media, so we, we gave, we assigned them. We appointed them. Okay? And it depends on the size of the church and the dynamic of it. You're going to have different portfolios in that regard. And then the real thing was that we really try to see where we can elevate that group of leaders in our services. Okay, I, We used our diaconus to help with baptisms. They would actually be in the tank. We used our diaconus to pray for the sick. And we would try to say to them, isn't it great, isn't it great to have men and women like this? They're serving our church. So we did all we could to elevate them in the eyes of the people in, in those arenas. So I want to share two more things, and I know my time's about done. Um, one thing I'll say that is so important when you think about these relationships is, is accountability. Accountability. Uh, I am accountable to my board, and my board is accountable to me. And I know that sounds kind of hypocritical or complex or whatever, duplistic. It's not. I I wanted my leadership team to know what I'm doing. They didn't ask me to tell them, but I wanted to. I mean, even at OMN now, you know, when I leave the building, I say to Sarah, my admin, Sarah, I'm going to be here, here, and here. Uh, If Sarah's not there, I walk across the hall to Jan. Jan, I'm going to be out of the office for a little bit, or I'm not going to be in tomorrow because I'm going to be here. Why do I do that? Because I feel like I'm accountable to them. I want them to be aware. Plus, I want them to sound intelligent when they answer the phone. Oh, I don't know where he is today. You know, no, Pastor John's not here today. He had an appointment in Cincinnati. He had another appointment in Dayton. He'll be back in the office on Thursday. Does that make sense to anybody in the room? You understand what I'm saying? And again, so it's a mutual thing. My board's accountable to me. My advisor. You know, when I ask someone about carpet, I'm hoping that next month, you know, you understand? You know, did you do that? No, I didn't. And, and the other thing I want to make is, is just the idea of confidentiality. Everybody's a little different, uh, but uh, there are some things that I'll preface in a meeting, and I'll say this needs to stay right here. Now, does that mean a whole meeting needs to stay there? No. But confidentiality to me is not a matter of keeping secrets. It's a matter of making sure the communication is public at the right time. The communication is public at the right time. Because if we don't know for sure what the end is, and we preempt confidentiality, some people get information prematurely, and that can be very damaging to the process. Very damaging to the process. And I, I've been in many board meetings over the last several years, and I had one board member say, I, I can't keep secrets. <laughs> so then you probably shouldn't be on the board. So no, if somebody asked me, I'm, I've got to be honest, i got to tell them. I said, I'm not asking you to lie, I'm asking you to be confidential. I said, because if information gets out prematurely, we can damage the process. So at some point, we're going to tell them. At some point, when we have a better picture of what we're doing and a better picture of the plan, they will know what's going on. But right now, we have been entrusted as the leaders 
to keep this conversation in this room. And if you cannot keep confidentialities, I would suggest you probably should not be in leadership. Because there will be a time that your pastor might say to you, this needs to stay right here until. Okay? I wasn't going to help from questions. We only got three minutes, so. Any questions? I'm sorry. Should have given more time. God bless you. Have a great day.